0: Welcome to the Details of Life. I'm your host Marcus Wilson and thank you ladies and gentlemen for coming and visiting me once again. I sincerely appreciate it and today we have a great episode for you. A head coach of a Final Four team, one of the most epic Final Four runs that I've seen in recent years. Porter Moser, head coach of Loyola Ramblers. Coach Moser has been around the game a lot. I was kind of introduced to him of who he was when I coached at St. Louis University. He had just left St. Louis University and we he coached up under one of the greatest coaches of all time, in my opinion, uh, Rick Majerus. And so we had a little background there, knew some similar people. But, you know, coach has been around quite a few places. Creighton, Milwaukee, um, Texas A&M. We talked about all that. I remember when I was asking him these questions and I was going to skip over his time as when he got his job at Illinois State because he was terminated from there. And I was figuring this is something he didn't want to talk about. He brought that up which goes to show the type of person he is because everyone always said that he was such a high-character guy, high-class guy. And he brought that up because he said, you know, this is part of my story. This is part of my journey that I had to learn from. It made me better. And it obviously did because you see the job he's doing at Loyola. And they've been at the top of the league the last three years. I think they finished first twice and then second last year uh, by, by, a, by a game. And so he's just doing a great job up there, has a ton of wealth of knowledge, of just, you know, obviously we talked about that Final Four run. We talked about Coach coaching. Jairz. Talked about a lot of things. Man, you guys are going to really love this. So without further ado, let's go ahead and chime in with Loyola Rambler's head coach, Porter Moser. Ladies and gentlemen, like I just prefaced, we have Loyola head coach, Porter Moser. How you doing, coach?
1: I'm great, Marcus. Glad to be here.
0: Man, thanks. Thanks for making the time. And I'm really excited to talk to you because I know a lot of mutual people that we have uh, in common, and so before we kind of get into the rest of your career, kind of wanted to know how did you get started into coaching, and you know who gave you your break, and when did you first know that you wanted to be a coach?
1: Well, I, I I grew up in the Chicago area, and I went to play my college basketball and get my business degree at Creighton University, another Jesuit school in the valley at the time, and I went to play for uh, Tony Baroni, who was uh, almost more than a mentor; he was more of a father figure, a mentor figure so close because um, we I went there, we, we won some Missouri Valley championships, went to the NCAA tournament, and it was during that time that I knew I wanted a coach. I think I was like everybody. You know, you ask every freshman in the country when you walk into their college locker room, you want to be a pro? Yeah, I want to be a pro. And then all of a sudden reality sets in like I got no shot to be a pro. <laughs> and mine came a little early that I realized I wasn't going to be a pro. Um, but uh, So I knew I wanted a coach. And uh, when Coach Barone got the Texas A&M job, he hired me. He was the only one that he brought with him over to A&M. And uh, so that's how I got in. I went to, to coach
0: for my uh, into coaching with my college coach, Tony Broney. He gave me my start. Cool, man. Well, so lucky to have you in the game. And you've had a lot of great experiences, which we'll get into. And obviously, you've had a lot of success with the Final Four run, which we'll touch on that as well. But, you know, we, we can't cover everything. You've had stops at Creighton and Texas AM and m and Milwaukee. But I want to jump forward to your first head coaching job at Arkansas Little Rock took over a team that was four and 24 had a 14 game turnaround next year was 18 and 11 but also went from last in the league in field goal percentage and three-point defense percentage to first in both of those categories and the 14 game turnaround so that's a lot so as for coaches out there that probably want to know how do you turn around something like that that quickly what were some of the factors that led to that 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 dramatic turnaround
1: well, one, it was, I was 31 years old. I was the second youngest head coach in division one. And I've said this to a lot of clinics and different seminars and things I've I spoke to young coaches is you, you've got to be thinking ahead, you know, and plan when you're going to, be, when you get your shot, because when you get your shot, there's a million things that happen. You get like 400 phone calls the first two days about who you're going to hire, meet this booster, meet this, to, and it, so I was fortunate enough in conversations with, I really was visualizing and planning ahead of when I was going to be a head coach, what I was going to do. And, um, you know, I was able to get, uh, you know, sign some kids that really impacted us defensively, but really wanted us to, just to play an incredible high energy. Um, my mentor, Coach Baroni, was really good defensive coach. Um, but I, I think, you know, we were able to bring in a couple of really good players to help us change that. My staff, everything we wanted was to change the mindset of Arkansas Little Rock basketball. We wanted it to, to be high energy, uh, you know, glass half full, and the mentality of, you know, we can win. And, um, and, and, and we did. And um, so I think that's just the biggest key is being prepared when you do get that shot, because I was awfully young. I was 31.
0: Yeah, I bet. Just coming in with that, that energy and that excitement, you know, probably, you know, rubbed off on your guys, playing a little bit harder. And, yeah, that's a dramatic turnaround to go from last to first and a 14-game turnaround in one year is, is incredible. So uh, moving forward, um, you, were at, you were at St. Louis University from 07 to 11, and with the great Rick Majeris I came in in 2013. So I heard a lot about you, heard a lot about Coach Majeris So, you know, what were some of the things that you learned under Coach Majerus that has helped impact your your coaching career?
1: Coach Majeris has had such an impact on on, on me. It's just – it's it, it's beyond words, but I'll – but I will say this. Um, I am not afraid to talk about my stint before that because it's, it's defined who you are. And, and I got fired in Illinois State. I went into Illinois State after Little Rock. Um, I signed a seven year deal. I felt I was turning it around. And, you know, three ads later, I didn't I, I lost my job and God has a plan. And sometimes you have to go through the pitfalls in life to get to your best self. And, Getting to, going to, going through that pitfall, it's part, part of my journey. It's, it's, and it's something that I've looked at and I went with Coach Majeris and, you know, he instilled a confidence in me, you know, that, because when, when you have a bad thing happen to you, you know, and your career path, sometimes you get a little beat up. And um, he gave me a lot of room to coach. He gave me a lot of um, autonomy. He was really, you know, he, he always called me co-coach, um, but he, what, what, one thing he really did was. How he taught the game, his attention to detail, sitting in a boardroom with them and going and watching his mind work on, hey, how are we going to stop their top three things? Yep. And just to just to see the creativity that he would have and the angles he would look at trying to stop an opponent, the skill development. Um, he validated about building a program, not a team. He validated building it with high character guys that want to win and skill level. And just so many things that I was doing at my previous two stops, he validated it. And uh, I just – I owe so much to him, and I wish he was around to see our run because I really think he would have loved our Loyola team and uh, and what we're doing here. But he was a tremendous influence to me on on and off the floor.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you saw a lot of toughness out of your uh, Loyola team. It looks a lot like Coach Majerus' teams. And you're right, man. I've talked to all those guys, Jordair Jett, Dwayne Evans – Rob Lowe, all those guys have said similar to what you just said is like his attention, the detail. I mean, he can be so hard on you, but at the same time, like how you say, he calls you co-coach. He can be hard on you and break you down, but he can also make you feel like so validated and feel like you're on top of the world. Like you like you said, know what you're talking about. Another thing I want to talk about while you were at SLU is talk to some other former players and they said there was a time there where you helped implement that 20 offense. And so anybody that doesn't know what 20 is. It's a ball screen continuity offense to where the ball keeps moving. There's ball screens on each side of the court. Um, you were credited with bringing that offense in. So where did you learn that offense? And have you still used that since then? So I remember, um, you know, Coach
1: Majeris got the job. And when he was at Utah, he was at there 16, 17 years. And he had constantly older guys. He had Mormon guys go on their mission, coming back in. So he was... The motion that he ran, he always had nine or 10 guys in the program that were older that knew how to do it. So he was only teaching a couple new guys. So we got to SLU and it was the first time in 20 years, he had to start from scratch again and teach everybody. And I remember we went to George Washington and we set a record for the fewest points scored in a game. It was probably the miserable most two hours I've ever sat. Maybe the two hours afterwards with coach was probably more miserable, but uh, it was, um, we couldn't score. And, it just takes some time. And he, he literally, we got back and he was just like, I, 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 I'm looking for ideas. And that just goes to his, you know, for him, he was just always willing to adjust and change. And he goes, what, what did you run at Illinois State? What are some things? And I started, you know, going through this, this ball screen offense. And then what he did is what he, he's so special at. He, he put his little teaching points in on the angles of the screens, the speed of the screen. The different cutting, and he really put his teaching points on everything that just made it really go. And how he taught screening, the angles of screens, how he taught coming off a screen—he really broke down the 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 art of coming off a screen and how to jab. He had so many little teaching points that—that's what made it, you know. And you anybody can get you know get offenses, but it's how you teach it. And we've taken. Uh, so many concepts of the ball screen offense, and we've tweaked it, and we're always evolving it. Uh, what we're doing with different ball screens at, at Loyola, but the the so his teaching points still remain. I will mm-hmm. say this one story, though I got to say it, because you mentioned Dwayne Evans and okay. attention, attention to detail. I hope Dwayne watches this sometime. But we, I did a, We were doing a home visit with Dwayne, and it was Dwayne, Coach Majerus, myself, his parents, and his grandmother was there, and his grandmother. She was a fireball. She got up there and she started talking about coaching and she played. And Coach Majerus goes, well, let me, let me see your shot. So his grandmother got up there in the living room. She had a ball in her hand. And all of a sudden, Coach McJarris is up telling her, hey, your elbow's not up. And he starts teaching her all these attention to details about the position on her hand. I'm like, this is a first for me. He's going through with Dwayne's grandmother, <laughs> the art of shooting the ball in shot position.
0: Oh, that's great, man. I'm definitely going to reach out to Dwayne and tell him he's got to watch this and, and talk about that. But, man, everything you said I know is the truth because those guys would tell me there was there would be spots where he expected you to be. And wow. if you were three inches off that spot, it was discipline coming for that. So that's the detail. And another thing that, that they told me about Coach Majerus is they said that he would always tell people, like, you can learn basketball from a five-year-old. Like, he was never too big to say I could learn from you, which goes to your point of asking, about the offense and learning and man, I love that 20 offense 20 and then lifting it high running 40 all the slips and drops and everything I mean <laughs> you got big men that are better inside I mean there's different options to get into the post if you got a seven footer like Rob Lowe who can shoot you got different options to get him the ball right. so man it's a great offense it had a great uh, effect on the St. Louis area so one thing I wanted to tell you was I don't know if you saw but like when the St. Louis Eagles team with Jason Tatum Tyler Cook, Jordan Goodwin, all those guys, when they made their Peace Jam run, they came over to SLU and took that offense and ran that then. And so it's had a great effect across the St. Louis area, Coach. So, man, that's a great offense. I still love it. I know some teams around here still love it. Moving forward, so at Loyola, you transition into the Missouri Valley Conference. And so a lot of times when teams transition into a new conference, me being from Indiana, I saw Butler struggle when they first left the A-10 into the Big East. I saw Notre Dame struggle when they first went to the ACC. Loyola, the first year, I think you guys were 10 and 22 when you first moved to the Valley. Then year two, there's usually a turnaround. You guys turn around with 24 and 13. So what is it like in terms of recruiting, in terms of mindset and everything, transitioning to a new conference? And how does that affect you moving into a new conference, especially when it's perceived to be you know, a better conference?
1: Well, just in perspective, um, we, you know, when we took over Loyola in 2011, the previous 30 years, they had three winning seasons in the previous 30 years. That's, that's very tough. So our first year, we struggled. Our second year, we doubled our wins. Our third year, we moved up into the Missouri Valley. And here's the perspective. When you look at the teams that on the conference realignment hit that moved up, not lateral, like Syracuse moved lateral, some of the Pittsburgh moved lateral, the ones that were perceived to move up, Butler, a Final Four team, um, Xavier, perennial powerhouse team, Davidson, a perennial team, Creighton multiple NCs. George Mason moved up a final 14. VCU moved up a final 14. Utah moved up a final 14. Everybody was winning traditional basketball programs and then Loyola moved up. We were the only non-traditional basketball team that moved up. And that first year we did. We struggled like crazy. And then the second year we had a breakthrough and um, I think it really helped, you know, recruiting. I think the Missouri Valley's got a great um, reputation I think it resonates with people the fan bases the cities it's a it's a it's a great I played in the league so I could sit in living rooms and talk about playing in that league and winning a championship in that league I won a championship at Creighton um, I could talk about the Jesuit education because I had that at Loyola and we just really set out to, to recruit winners and our final four team had seven guys that won state championships and guys that wanted to win and uh, and that's We've, we've now, you know, we've won two Missouri Valley titles and um, we finished one game out last year in our last three years. So, but we're, you know, it's a great league. And um, I just think it's, it's about the people around you. Yeah. I got to say that the guys in our team, you know, same thing as SLU, the the team we built at SLU, Um, you know, winners,
0: guys that won, the guys that want to win, be a part of something bigger. You know, I play in the Valley as well and love to see the success you guys have had the next couple of years after you said that breakthrough, it was about middle of the pack, and then 2017 hit, and it just all clicked. That was the epic final four run. Here they all come up. One timeout. They don't take it. Out, don't take it. Oh, oh, he got it. Oh, that's he got the buckler. Yeah. March,
1: yeah. Mathis, Magic as the Ramblers from Loyola, Chicago moving on. Their first NCAA. Tournament victory in
0: 33 years. Here comes the player of the year, the MPC rises. Oh, and, he got it. and the dream is alive. Loyola rambling on to the Sweet 16. Custer crossover kicks it.
1: The big shot league. Loyola Chicago moving on to the elite
0: eight going into that season you know did you know that you had a chance to be special and then also what were some of the other dynamics going on that season that the average fan may not know about you know we always see the end product but like well, what was it like that year as you saw the confidence building up and everything like just tell us a little bit about that year if you could okay um we
1: just, had, we just had a great group of guys that were really close, and it really was blended in the summer. You know, teams are built in the offseason, the, the camaraderie, the chemistry. But I've always said this in terms of leaders. When you take over a program, you know, you're bringing in your guys, and a lot of times the guys that are already there, they're trying to buy in, they're trying to believe in, but you didn't recruit them. And it wasn't until my first recruiting class was seniors, and guys like Ben Richardson, uh, Dante Ingram, they were freshmen. So they came in, and the seniors, they were my first class. were like, this is how we do it. And we won the CBI that year. And I know it doesn't seem as important as it does, but we did it at St. Louis too. We went to the championship of the CBI and lost to VCU before we had the breakthrough. But it just gave them some postseason confidence that the winning. And then fast-forward it now to Ben's and Dante's senior year. That's the year we went to the Final Four. And one thing behind the scenes that happened was, Ben Richardson was our senior captain, our heart and soul, our glue. He broke his hand, and he was going to be out two months. And instead of pouting, he literally – him and I talked to him like, you need to pour into somebody. You need to pour into somebody. And he decided Lucas Williamson, our freshman. And you just – if you watch games, you watch practice, Ben never – it was always like a shadow in Lucas's ear. And instead of pouting – Lucas elevated his game so much. And by the time the the tournament came, Ben came back, and Lucas was a key part of it. And it just shows you, you know, impact to when you can, even when you're hurt. And to answer your question, when we knew we were going to be good, it was probably early December. We went to Florida. They were number five in the country. Ben was still out. And in the first half, Clayton Custer, who was MVP of our league, went down with an ankle injury. And we still held on to beat Florida at Florida without those two guys. And they were five. And I remember after the, after the game kind of talking on the bus with our coaching staff, like, you know, we got a chance to be pretty good, you know, to, to beat Florida when two of our guys were out. And uh, it, what's ironic is we were 32-5 and five that year, and Custer missed five games and Richardson missed 12. And when Custer played, I think our record was 30-2 and two when Custer played. And um, it just – it was – it was people forget that we had our backcourt injured for a handful of games, but uh, it was, it was a great group of guys. It just shows you guys that believe in when you get a group of guys that believe and when anything can happen.
0: Yeah, man, that's, that was such an epic run. And I mean, it just felt good playing in the Valley. You've been in the Midwest and just, just seeing all of that was, was so fun to watch. And one of the things that you hit on earlier was like, it clicked when you got some older guys and, and your, and your guys were in there because Usually at at 90% of schools, you know, the Kentuckys and Dukes might be different. You might be able to win with all freshmen. But most teams who are good, they have senior leadership. They have player-led teams who have bought in where you don't even have to do a lot of the discipline. They are the ones saying, oh, this is how we do it here. You're older. You're stronger. And it sounds like that's what's happened, man. So awesome to hear that. In 2019, there was reports that you were courted by St. John's in the Big East. And you turned them down, which says a lot. I think most fans assume that coaches want to get in, they build up and they want to move up to the highest conferences as, as they can. So what was it about Loyola that made you want to stay where you're at? And it speaks a lot to what they have.
1: Well, you know, I've invested a lot in, in invested in trying to get this program to where it's at. And um, there was a handful of factors. I, I just, I had a coaching friend say to me, don't run from happiness. And there's a lot of things that I, I, I love having a purpose. I feel like I have a purpose at Loyola. I think I have a purpose in my hometown of Chicago, but I will say this: I, It's not that I won't ever leave. Um, I I mean I'm I'm not a hypocrite. I I, I understand the the the, the um, raising a family. You know the, the money to to raise four kids. But I will say that um, I'm I, I I've invested a lot. I'm happy. I love the family, the the administration, the guys in the locker room. Um, it's, it's, it's so hard. I mean, I, I remember the, the day before I left on that interview or to, to go out there is I sat there and got a commitment from two families and that they sat at breakfast and the moms hugged me saying, thank you for trusting me with your son. And I was like, God that, how can I 48 hours later after I just got hugged by some moms, you know, trusting with their son. So, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know that I'm, I'm, I, I love what we've built. I love, um, and I don't feel like we're done. You know, I feel, I feel energized and motivated to, to do more here. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of what we're doing and the guys we're bringing in and how we're doing it, how, how we're doing it. But um, I, think, I think I don't judge anybody for staying or leaving or any way. I just can only speak to myself. And myself, it wasn't the time. My family was, was really happy. I feel like I got a purpose, and I feel like I got a lot more to do at Loyola.
0: Yeah, man. Timing is everything in life, and so you're right. Maybe it just wasn't the right time, Um, and and hearing that story about the commitments and all that makes sense. You're in a a talent-rich area, Chicago hometown, and so it makes a lot of sense, but I think anybody would have to be foolish to think that you'd be there forever. I mean, you finished, like you said, the last three years first, first, and then a game out of first and just finished second last year, and one of the leading continue, contenders do, to win it again next year. So, yeah, you got a good thing going. On. I think Loyola, I'm sure they're grateful for you, but they better, you know, just hug you every day because it's good. They got a good thing there, Coach. Um, speaking of that, next year, you know, are there, what are your expectations for the season next year? Are there any guys that may have transferred and were sitting out last year, any incoming freshmen or any current guys that you've seen working? Well, maybe you haven't seen them, but you know they're working over the summer that, that we could expect to maybe have a breakout year next year. You know, Marcus, we just, you just
1: mentioned it a couple minutes ago about staying old, and I just think at our level, you got to stay old, and that's what I'm worried about. You know, we can go on a whole nother Zoom call talking about the transfer rules, and if they become immediately eligible, uh, like they're, they're talking about it. But, you know, the Missouri Valley, here's a great stat about the Valley. Up until the year before, when Bradley lost to Michigan State, they had won 10 first-round games in the NCAA tournament in a row. They were 10 – for 10 in first round games. And then Bradley had a great game and lost to Michigan state in a great game and Michigan state went to the final four. So that was um, so the Valley has been able to stay old and stay experienced. And um, I, I, I love what we've been able to sustain that. You know, we were, we had some seniors in that final four run, but then the upper guys have come up. We were able to win it again. Last year we, we, we were a game on at first, but we, had, we didn't have any seniors that, that played a lot. We had Bruno Skopna, but we have everybody back. Um, Cam Crutwig's been a, a, a really good player for us. Tate Hall was a newcomer that made all-league. Um, Keith Clemens was Lucas Williamson. So we got a good core back. Uh, Cooper Kephas from two years ago was on the all-freshman team, made uh, like 48% of his threes, was our, one of our top shooters. You know, he tore his labrum in his hip. He sat out. He's completely healthy. We had Braden Norris, a point guard who sat out, transferred from Oakland. Um, he's back. So uh, we signed Baylor Hebb, a young man from Texas. We're, we're, uh, I, I, I really like our group. We're, we're, we're deep. Um, we got strength in numbers. Um, but, uh, but I know the Valley's deep. The valley really deep. There's a lot of really good teams. I mean, a lot of teams have a lot of guys back. And the one thing about the Valley, there was more high-level freshmen in the Valley than I've seen in a long, long time it was almost impossible to vote for the top five freshmen. They had like eight or nine freshmen that completely impacted our league. And that bodes well for the future of our league in in terms of raising our profile and getting more teams in the tournament.
0: No, I totally agree. As you know, I do color commentating for the Valley Mm -hmm. and I got a chance to see a lot of guys and you're right. The the future is very bright for the Valley, all the young guys coming back and uh, I totally agree. So man, in closing, I always ask this question, coach, it's called the details of life. And so I try to pick the brains of people who have had some level of success. And you've had a lot of it at a lot of different places, obviously in the final four and what you've done at Loyola, even before that. So what, are there any daily habits or routines or self mantras or anything that you think has contributed to your level of success?
1: Well, first and foremost, my faith in God. I mean, my daily habit with my faith that, that unequivocally is, is, is what my, my daily habit of, of what, um, inspires me with what makes me go, um, you know, you know, I, I got a mantra, you know, how you think, how you feel, how you feel, how you act. And it all starts with how you think, staying positive, being high energy. Um, is just something that uh, I'm very proud of. The seniors, always a senior night talks about, they talk about t- a takeaway from is, is my energy, my outlook, my positivity. And I just think it starts with how you think. And uh, there's a lot of bad things that can happen to you. So to say that um, when bad things go wrong, that's where your faith comes in, your family, your friends, and to have that. But um, just, uh, you, just being thankful and gratitude. Um, I'm so blessed. I'm, I'm blessed to have gone through a, a deep hole in my life of getting fired. I've looked back on that as saying, sometimes you've got to go through very tough times to become your best self. And my faith has helped me realize things like that. And uh, so I, I really believe in all, a, a lot of that is, that makes up you as a whole person.
0: I totally agree with, with all of that stuff. And a couple of things, toughness of being able to get knocked down and get back up. We always talk about that as coaches. We tell guys, toughness isn't somebody following you and you punch them in the mouth. Right. Toughness is being able to go through adversity and still keep your focus on the task and be mentally tough. And another thing, as you were talking about being grateful and bringing energy, I've talked to Brian Mullins, who's now the head coach at SIU and he was your assistant at Loyola and he said the exact same thing he said one of the the main reasons that he's had some level of success is coaching under you he said coach coach Moser doesn't have bad days he doesn't have bad days he comes and he brings the energy every day and so he's learned how to do that so I wanted to say that because sometimes people watch this and say oh this this guy's just saying all the right things in the interview no like other people have said this about you who have worked with you so I love that attitude coach and I'll uh, say you, I, I do have bad days. I've had a lot of
1: bad days. And uh, I just think, but, when you, but it's, it's hard to be grateful and feel, you know, when you feel grateful, you feel good. And I just, I, I have a gratitude journal I, start in the, I do in the morning. I write three things down, but I definitely have bad days. It's yeah. just how you think about them and what, you're, and what you focus your gratitude on. So I'm, I'm, Brian was a, Brian's going to have a great amount of success at Southern. He was really a good one. Yeah, yeah, he is. And
0: I'm sure we all have bad days, but there are some coaches, I think you and Conzo Martin, and I can name a lot more of this. It just seems like you don't have bad days. Every time we see you, you're in your A game, man. A lot of that is just that mental toughness we were talking about. So, man, thank you so much for coming on, Coach. You're going to have a great year next year. I mean, it's pretty clear, but good luck to you. And like I said, I've, I've crossed paths with a lot of people that know you and I just want to tell the people out there, man, this is a great guy who a lot of people think very highly of, not just about success on the court, but how you carry yourself. So I'm rooting for you. Can't wait to call one of your games this upcoming season, man. And good luck to you, coach. Thanks, Marcus. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you, Coach, for coming on once again. That was awesome. Can't wait to come up to Chicago and see you guys this year because I want to come and check out your practices, and check maybe steal some some plays in case I ever get back into the coaching business. I want to pick your pick your brain a little bit. But thanks again for coming on, and good luck to you this upcoming season. Moving forward, we have another ACC coach coming on, Kevin Keats, who's an outstanding guy. You know, obviously has a wealth of knowledge. Had a chance to talk about his time on a national championship team when he was assistant coach at Louisville. And so you guys aren't going to want to miss this. And we have a Final Four coach. We have a national champion coach. All these guys giving us the details of how to be successful because you know what? That's right. Greatness is in the details, guys. Make sure you come back next Wednesday. We're always dropping something good, giving you a lot of good knowledge. Have a great week. Can't wait to see you next time. Peace.